All right. Well, this morning we're going to get uh, we're going to begin a new series, a new series called um, something or another. Big ideas of the Bible. There you go. Big ideas of the Bible. Am I ringing or is that uh, okay? I don't want to yell too loudly. I don't want to get all stirred up if it's going to. So I'll be calm and sedate this morning. How about that? Big ideas of the Bible, breaking down some of the deep stuff. You know, as, as, uh, as our church, churches kind of morph, sometimes we lose, um, because we're, we're, we're aiming at, at, a, at a segment of society. I totally understand why we're doing things, but sometimes... Our aiming is at the sake of uh, depth. Does that make sense? Sometimes we, we forget that, um, that we need to know doctrine. That there, there's, just, there, there's something good about knowing what you believe and why you believe it. There's something good about being able to say, no, this is what... Christianity teaches, and this is why Christianity teaches it. It's good to know those things. It's good to have feel-good messages. I like to feel good. You like to feel good. If you don't like to feel good, there's probably something wrong with you. But everybody likes to feel good. I like to preach feel-good messages. I like for when you walk out of here to have a big smile on your face going, you know what, that felt good. But then there's just times where he's like, you know what, we need to pull it back and we just need to talk about the foundations of what we believe, the truth of, of Christianity and why we believe certain things. It's good to know the word. It's really good to know the word. It's imperative that we know the basic truths or doctrines that our faith is built on. Because those that live by Bible truth will not be moved. You know, feelings, they come and go, don't they? Sometimes we feel good. Have you ever come in for a, for a service and you felt real good during the service and then you left and you didn't feel good anymore? Why? Because when the problem starts getting in your face again, sometimes you come in here and it feels good just to take a break from the problems, and that's fantastic. That's why we're here. We're glad that you're able to do that. But when we go back out there, the problem's still going to be barking at you. And if we're living only by feelings and not by the Word of God, then when those feelings come, we might be moved, right? We might spend more time looking at the problems instead of looking to the word. So we wanna to look to the word. We wanna know what it is that we believe. Doctrine simply means teaching or instruction. Sometimes you hear big words like that, doctrine. And you think of some, some old guys in a room together kind of arguing about certain things. But doctrine simply means teaching or instruction. And the word doctrine is used 46 times times in the New Testament. If, they, if somebody talks about something 46 times, it's probably important, right? In fact, the word doctrine is used almost twice as many times in the New Testament as the word forgive. 
Why is that? Because we need to understand the teachings of Scripture. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. It's just talking about the fundamental truths of what we believe. All right? Is that okay? I can tell by the, just the enthusiasm in your heart this morning, you're going, man, I'm glad we're talking about doctrines. You're just like, whoo, doctrines, doctrines. A few of you up here laughed at that. Those of you back there still have that ugly look on your face. I'm sorry. See where the light is? So you need to sit up here in the dark. If you're going to growl at me, sit up here in the dark where I can't see you. Okay, if you're going to sit in the back and just and growl at me, forget it. Okay. Today's lesson is called God's Purr. P-U-R-R-R. Purr. Purr. God's purr. What does that stand for? I'm about to tell you. God's purpose for redemption, reconciliation, and remission. And we're going to look at three words, three doctrines this morning, words that we don't necessarily use all the time, but what does it mean in the Christian faith. If somebody questions you about your faith, are you able to defend what you believe? We should be, right? I'm not saying argue with people. You don't have to get into a fist fight with somebody over doctrine. That's, that's not what we want to happen. But if somebody honestly asks you, why are you a Christian? Are you able to tell them why you're a Christian? Are you able to tell them what it is that you truly believe? Or is it, well, I just grew up in church. Jesus makes me feel good. Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is my friend. And those things are, once again, yes, Jesus is our friend. But what do you believe? Why do you believe it? If somebody walked up to you and said, hey, I read this word remission, what does it mean? You're a Christian, right? What does it mean? That's what we're going to talk about. I want you to be able to walk out and say, this is the fundamental truths of my faith. And this is why I believe them. Okay? All right. First of all, we're going to start with redemption. 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 Our ransom paid. Redemption is the central, th- the central theme of Christianity. In Ephesians 1.7, Scripture tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And once again, we read some words sometimes. In the word of God, there's just some words. And it's like, what do these words really, really mean? Now, redemption in a non-biblical definition means doing something right to make up for a mistake. It also means exchanging something for something else of value. Now, I'm going to go way back and I'm going to catch some of you older folks with this right here. Anybody remember S&H green stamps? Yeah. 
S&H green stamps. For you young people, you do not know the awesomeness of going to your grandparents' house and finding all these stamps that you got to lick and stick in a book and take that book and change it for something. It was like as good as money. You would redeem these books full of these, and, and your, your tongue was stuck to your roof of your mouth by the time you got finished because you were licking all those stamps. Because we didn't have enough sense to actually wet them. It's like, we thought, I think my grandparents thought that was funny. So they, they would never put them in the books. They would save it for the grandkids, and the grandkids would come and just lick all those stamps. Well, how did you get these stamps? You went to the grocery store, and they had this big machine right there, and according to how much money you spent, they would spin that thing, and you wanted those big, fat stamps to come out. Because those little bitty ones, man, they took forever to get in the book, didn't they? Y'all remember this? Okay, I'm not dreaming this, I know. They gave them away at the Piggly Wiggly, right? Okay. And you would fill these books with these stamps. And there was a catalog. If you lived in a town, a bigger town than Jefferson, Texas, then they, they may even have a store. And you could go down to the store with all these books of stamps, and it was just like money. And you would give it to them. You were redeeming those stamps for something else. In the New Testament, the word redemption translates ransom paid in full. Ransom. Ransom paid in full. Complete deliverance. Liberation procured by payment. Liberation procured by payment. So what have we been redeemed from? What have we been redeemed from? If there's a ransom that needs to be paid, what are we being ransomed from? If there's a payment that needs to be paid, what's being paid and why is it being paid? Well, Jesus died on the cross for me. That's all I know. Is that really what, what, yes, Jesus died on the cross, but what was he doing? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why? I feel like I'm back in, in, in Bible, in, uh, teaching my Bible class at King's Academy. I can see some old students sitting back there, and I got this same uh, response for them every time I taught. You ask a question, they just sit there. And you think that they're listening to you because they smile and they nod their head, but you know in the back of their head they're thinking, this guy's a moron. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> redeemed from what? The term redeemed. Now listen. The term redeemed in Hebrew culture on just a daily basis was referring specifically to the purchase of a slave's freedom. When Paul used the word redeemed, he was using it specifically, specifically to tell us exactly what was happening. Under the Old Testament law, a close relative, they called him a kinsman redeemer, a close relative had the right to purchase a family member who had sold himself into bondage. Humans sold themselves into bondage through sin. 
Kinsmen redeemers would purchase back an inheritance that had been lost because of poverty. The poverty of sin stole our birthright. The birthright of being in fellowship with God and being stewards of his creation. The kinsman redeemer would avenge the death of a family member. Unless we think that uh, we're only redeemed from sin's effects, you need to understand that Jesus didn't come just to deal with the sin problem. He came to deal with the death problem. Because in the Old Testament, the sacrifice that was made for sin could cover sin, but it could never make a dead person alive. It could never make somebody spiritually dead spiritually alive. So Jesus being our redeemer, Jesus being our redeemer is redeeming us from death, from poverty, from sin. He's purchasing us from the slavery that we've sold ourselves into because of sin. He's paying for it. He's paying the ransom in full. It's not partial. It's not put on layaway. Y'all remember layaway? I'm, sh I'm showing my age this morning, aren't I? Not only did we have S&H green stamps when I was a kid, we had layaway. What, what was layaway? Layaway was you'd go down to the store, you'd pick out something, and they would hold it for you, and you'd pay it off over time. So you could take your friends down to the store and go, I'm going to have those pants one of these days. They're on layaway. Right? Jesus didn't put us on layaway. He paid the ransom. He paid the price in full for us to be redeemed. John 10.10, 10, very familiar passage, says the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life. They may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Jesus came to, to pay the price for death so that we may have life. Jesus came to fix the death problem. He came to pay the price so we could once again connect with life. Because before sin, before Adam and Eve fell, man was fully connected to life. Is this making sense? Fully connected to life. And Jesus said, I, he didn't say, I've come to pay for your sin. He said, I've come that you could have life. You could have life again. You could be in connection with the Father again. You could be in connection with the life of God again. Because you couldn't do that in the Old Testament. But you can sure do it through Jesus. We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. In the late 1800s, a wealthy English family invited another family from the city to come out to their, to their country estate and spend some time with them. So they gathered all the kids together and they, they went out to, to visit this estate. And on the first day that they were there, 
tragedy almost happened. The kids all decided they were going to go down to the pond and they were going to swim. And one of the little boys, one of the youngest boys, um, got too far out into the, to the pond and he was not a good swimmer and he began to drown. And the other kids begin to scream as they're watching him flail around and going down. And, and the parents were too far away from the pond to hear their kids screaming. But thankfully, there was a gardener working not too far from where the kids were swimming and he heard the kids yelling. So while one of the kids would run up to get the parents, the gardener just went and dove into the pond to save this boy's life. And by the time the parents were, were coming back out, the gardener had pulled the little boy out of the pond and was resuscitating him, knocking, I'm sure you're just slapping him on the back to get the water out of him, all that type of stuff. And the parents were so overwhelmed when they understood that the, the boy really would have died. They said, is there anything that we can do to thank you? We owe our son's life to you. And the gardener said, well, when my, my son gets older, I'd like for him to go to university. And the family said, we'll pay his way to university. Now, the little boy that almost drowned happened to be Winston Churchill, those of you that don't know who Winston Churchill was, he was probably the key figure during World War II. He, he kept England from just absolute collapse during World War II. His leadership brought them through a very, very tough time. And he'd been saved. Now, after World War II, Winston Churchill contracted pneumonia, and he was, he was on death's bed. And the king was so concerned about it, the king of England was so concerned about it, he told his people, you go find the best doctor that is available, and you get him here. And they went out and found a man named Alexander Fleming, a doctor. Also happened to be the doctor that, that uh, uh, pioneered penicillin. And they brought him in, and he nursed Churchill back to life, brought him back from death's bed back to life. I'll give you one guess who he was. He happened to be the son of the gardener. And Churchill said, it's not very often that you owe one family your life twice. But see, he had been given life by the father, then he'd been given life by the son. And here we are, reckon, uh, re redemption being the key theme of Christianity. You've been given life by the father. but then you've been given spiritual life by the Son. Let's not ever forget that. And as we have redemption, not only are we redeemed from sin and death, but the sacrifice of Jesus brought us remission of our sins. Acts 10.43 says, To him all the prophets witness through his name, whoever believes in him will receive 
remission of sins. So the second doctrine we're going to look at this morning is remission. It's our penalty-free promise. Once again, the scripture, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Remission, our penalty-free promise. What is the meaning of Remission. Now, remission is kind of an, an older word. If you're using a, a, a newer translation of the Bible, it has probably taken the word remission out and translated it forgiveness. And that's, that's an okay definition, but it's not the deepest meaning of, of, the, of the word. Because remission is a little bit deeper than just forgiveness, especially the way that, that we interpret forgiveness. Because if somebody does something to you, you know, they may apologize and you'll say, I forgive you. You have to because you're a Christian, right? Even though we want to hold on to it at times. I forgive you. I forgive you. But what happens when you see that person sometimes? They're still kind of that, right? Yeah, don't lie. Sitting out there all holy and everything. No, not me. I know you. You forget. So we think of forgiveness as just kind of getting over something. And sometimes we think God just kind of gets over our sin. But the word remission is so much deeper than, than, than our just uh, everyday meaning of forgiveness. Thayer's Greek lexicon says that remission means release from bondage and imprisonment. The letting go of sin as if they had never been committed. The complete release of their penalty. See, not only does does God come and redeem us, does does he come and purchase us? Is he our kinsman redeemer? But he also comes along and says, everything that has happened didn't happen. I no longer even look at that. And the reason that I really wanted to stick with redemption was because of the way that we think of forgiveness. Now, parents... And I'm one of them. Our kids do stupid things at times, don't they? Yes, as Miss Dorothy says, amen quite loudly. (laughs) Our kids do dumb things at times. And when I was a teenager, I did dumb things at times. I still do dumb things at times. What am I saying? But there was a time when when I first went to college, my, my dad got me a credit card. And it was just to buy books and, and, and you know, and if I got in a, you know, a pinch, you use the card. You don't use the card for anything except books and a pinch, right? And I'd gone off to Bible school and I just wanted everybody to know about Jesus. I wanted everybody to, to, to be in love with Jesus. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm out there and I'm trying to minister to people. And I worked at a, a motel as, as, as the front desk clerk, and there was a, a couple there that, that stayed at the motel. It was actually the, the son and daughter-in-law of the manager, and they needed Jesus. They needed Jesus. And I would spend hours talking to them about Jesus because nobody would ever come into the motel. It was one of those, it was kind of a gross motel. So we didn't rent out that many rooms. So I'm spending all this time telling these people about Jesus. And hey, 
Scripture says in James, right, don't just say to somebody, be blessed and filled, but if you can do something about somebody's issue, you help them, right? So this couple, they needed to rent a car. And you had to have a credit card to rent a car. I'm like, I got a credit card. And the first time they did it, they, they gave me cash up front. Here's the cash, awesome. Well, the second time they needed a car, they weren't gonna have the cash until payday, which was just gonna be a few days. And it's like, of course, I will help you out because Jesus loves you, right? So I rented the car for these guys using my credit card and um, they left the state. I got a call a couple of days after it was supposed to have been returned and said, Mr. Bauer, you have stolen a car. Uh, I've not stolen a car. What are you talking about? Well, the car that you rented has not been returned. Where is it? Oh, I don't know. Let me call his mama and see if she knows where he is. So we finally found them, they turned the car back in, but this is what had happened. I had a, had a credit card that had a $1,000 limit on it. They had, they had kept the car so long that it ran it up to the $1,000 limit, but it went, also went over by another $500. Yeah. And being a you know, uh, college student, I just didn't have $500 laying around. So who had to pay my debt? My daddy. I'm telling this whole long story to tell you the difference between forgiveness and remission because my dad paid my debt, but he never forgot it, okay? There was never a time when he said, Chris, it is as if it has never happened. It happened over and over and over and over again. That's not the way God is with us. Remission means it is as if it never happened. So not only are we redeemed, thank God that we are redeemed. Thank God, because you know what? I was dead. I was spiritually dead. I was broken beyond repair, and God came through the blood of Jesus and redeemed me. He purchased me. He paid the price that I could not pay because the wages of sin is death. So I would have had to die, but I could only die for me, right? I couldn't die for you. Nobody could die for you. You had to pay your own price. But Jesus came and died and purchased. But not only did he purchase, he brought remission. He said, it is as if it never happened. So the result of remission is there's no penalty. Remember the, the, the scripture says the complete release of their penalty. The definition, did I say scripture? The definition says the complete release of their penalty. So there's no penalty. There's no penalty. Some of you should be shouting. There's no penalty. There you go. There's no penalty. So if there's no penalty, why are you still trying to pay for it? Right? It's as if it never happened. So if it is as if it never happened, why are you still dwelling on it? Why are you still dragging around things that God's going, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
I paid for this. But we drag around shame and condemnation for the, oh, you just don't know what I used to be. You don't know the things that I've gone through. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You've been redeemed. It doesn't matter. He's given you remission for everything that we've done. He's not remembering it. We shouldn't be remembering it. We shouldn't go around poking on old wounds. But we do that at times, don't we? We poke on old wounds. In 1880, James Garfield was elected president of the United States. I doubt he ever gets high on anybody's favorite president's list. You wonder where the cat got his name, right? James Garfield was elected president. About six months into his his presidency, he was shot in the back. By a small caliber handgun, he was shot in the back. He never lost consciousness. Really wasn't bleeding that much, but they rushed him to the hospital, of course, where the doctor spent the next several hours with his unwashed finger trying to dig the bullet out. And when he couldn't get it out with his finger, he got some kind of probe and probed around in there. And he couldn't get it out. He happened to be in Baltimore, which is close to Washington, D.C. They just put him on a train, sent him back to D.C. There he is in the White House. And for the next 11 weeks, doctors poked on his wound. They even brought in Alexander Graham Bell. I don't know what a telephone was going to do for him, but they brought him in to see if he could help. They poked on his wound. They poked on his wound, and they poked on his wound. After 11 weeks, the man died. He didn't die from the gunshot. He died from the infection of everybody poking on his wound. It's the same way with us, spiritually. Spiritually, we poke on the wound, poke on the wound, poke on the wound, and it gets infected, and we just fall apart. When Jesus has given us remission, he's saying, forget about it. Don't even worry about it, but yet we still dwell on old sin. Stop poking the wound. Stop poking at it. Stop trying to pay for something you couldn't pay for to begin with. It's already been paid for. Let it go. Let it go. And because, and I'm going to finish up here real quick, because Jesus has redeemed and purchased our freedom and remission of our sins has been made as if they had never happened, we can now be reconciled to God. Now be reconciled to God. What what is reconciliation? It's as if two friends had a big fight. You ever had a falling out with somebody? And it gets so bad you just stop talking to each other? And after a while, there's just no relationship at all? Well, the only way that uh, such estrangement can be reversed is through reconciliation, right? To be reconciled is to be restored to friendship and harmony. 
The fact that we need reconciliation means that our relationship with God was broken. It was broken. Sin broke our relationship with God. But in Romans 5, verse 10, it says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's that word life again. Saved by his life. When we've been reconciled with God, the life of God, we now have a relationship with God again. We're now drawn back into favor with God. We're now drawn back into his presence again. And there's life in the presence of God. Life in the presence of God. Redemption, remission, and reconciliation are summed up in the following verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Time to stop. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We're new. We're new. New creations. New creatures, some verses say. You're new. Martin was teaching on some of this. Martin Herrera back there. Wave at everybody, Martin. Was teaching on some of this uh, Wednesday night, and the word here for new creation is actually comes from the word that we get prototype from. Something completely new. It's not a new you, it's not a fixed up you, it's not an old banged up you that somebody bought and redid the engine and put big wheels on. Completely different. Completely new. There has never been one of these before. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. Completely new. You've never been there before. Old things have passed away. There's another thing Martin said. I'll give him all the credit because he probably stole it from somebody, but uh, that's okay. Something that, that he said that made so much sense. He said, Scripture says that we're new creations, right? But how come sometimes we don't, we don't act like we're new creations. It's because we have more faith in the old sin than we do in the new life. Yeah, that was pretty good. We have more faith in the old sin and the old nature than we do in the new life. Because if we really took God at his word and said, I'm new. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm different than I've ever been before. There's never been one of me before. I've never been like this before. Then I should have more faith in what God said than what I used to be, right? So you are, according to God, no longer a slave. No longer without inheritance because our kinsman redeemer has brought our inheritance back to us. You're no longer spiritually dead. 
No longer are your failures remembered. No longer are you estranged from God. That's good news. That's the gospel right there. That's good news right there. But the end of the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, the end of the scripture says, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the, the word of reconciliation. You know what? I'm glad that I'm redeemed. I'm glad that I'm redeemed. I remember the brokenness of my prior life. And I am so glad that I am redeemed. I'm so glad that is not me anymore. I do not identify with that anymore. When we become redeemed, when we get to that place and we understand that God is saying, hey, it's good. He said, now I'm gonna let you partner with me. Not only am I reconciling you to me, but I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. I'm giving you the word of reconciliation. And we get to be God's people in this world. You know, he's a personal Lord and Savior. But it's so personal that I've got to make it public. So as we've given our lives to Jesus, as we've recognized what he's done for us, the only logical step is to begin to be his hands, to begin to be his feet, begin to be his mouth. And take the ministry of reconciliation. Did you notice that the scripture said reconciling the world to himself? Reconciling the world to himself. Here's good news for the world. God's already reconciling you. He's already ready to pull you close to him. They just need to hear the word. They just need to hear the word. You know what? You're not the piece of trash that the world has told you that you are. God's very sure that you're worth everything that he has gone through.